0: grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, our regular epistolary lesson for this Sunday, as we find it written in Paul's letter to the Romans, reading there in the sixth chapter, especially the third verse. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus, the Lord of our Christian life, dear friends, you who are here in God's house this morning, and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio, Today, as you know, is the sixth Sunday after the Festival of Trinity. It is our custom on these After Trinity Sundays to deal with some of the common and practical problems of our Christian life and conduct. You recall that last Sunday we talked about getting along with one another, how to live in peace and harmony with one another. And today we have a very practical thing that we want to talk about, and that is the matter of carelessness in our Christian life. I like to call it sloppy Christian living. Sloppy Christian living. This kind of living where we're off the beam. We're either always to the left or we're always to the right. But in our Christian life, It is a sloppy thing. It's a careless thing. It is an inferior thing. It is a Christian life that is not becoming us as Christians. You know, friends, it's a very easy thing to slip into a sloppy Christian life, isn't it? It's very easy to look at our life and to not care whether we are doing the will of God or whether we are not doing it not to care whether as we look at our life that it's a soggy thing and that it's something that we are rather ashamed of. And it may all come very easily from this thing that we say something like this to ourselves. Now we are saved by the forgiving grace of God, are we not? And that's true, isn't it? We are saved by the grace of God. And that means that you and I are not saved by our life, isn't that right? And because we are saved by the forgiving grace of God, and that our lives do not save us, it's the easiest thing in the world, especially for us Lutherans, to get the idea that life, therefore, is not very important. Because if life doesn't save, what's the difference how I live? What's the difference, therefore, whether my Christian life is sloppy, whether it doesn't measure up? whether it's absolutely inferior, whether it's the kind of a life that is not becoming me as a Christian. What's the difference? After all, isn't it foolishness to live on the beam when we are not saved by our life? Some of us may even draw this conclusion. We may say, why the thing that we ought to do is to go out and to sin to our heart's content because the more we sin, the more we show the world how great is the forgiving grace of God. If we go out and kill and live in adultery and murder, why the world would say, my, how tremendously best is the grace of God that forgives, and actually we would be glorifying grace. That's the way some Christians sometimes feel about their Christian life, and that's why today we want to talk about this thing of carelessness, of indifference, of sloppy Christian living. Doesn't it make any difference even though we are saved by the saving grace of God and our lives do not save us? The speaker this morning from the Word of God is the Apostle Paul, the little Jew from up in Tarsus in Cilicia, the great warhorse of the Christian church. And we find him riding to his Christian congregation at Rome. And yet then, when he had spoken to them about the very fact that we are saved by the forgiving grace of God, and there was a danger that because they would know that they were saved by the mercy of God in Christ Jesus and not by their lives, that somehow or other they would get the idea that the Christian life is not important and that they would go out and say now I can sin to my heart's content, it doesn't make any difference and therefore I do not have to avoid being off of the beam. And so he wrote to them as he speaks to you and me this morning, assuring us that we are saved by the forgiving grace of God, to be sure. Assuring us that you and I are not saved by our lives, and, but therefore telling and calling to us as Christians to avoid being off of the beam, to avoid carelessness and a sloppy Christian life, to avoid anything that doesn't measure up because this is what he told the Christians at Rome, he says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Do you not realize that because you were baptized into Christ's death?" that therefore you must avoid being off of the beam in your Christian life. You've got to get rid of a sloppy Christian living. You've got to get rid of that which is inferior. You dare not be off of the beam. You've got to be on the beam, even though you are not saved by your life because when you were baptized, do you not know that you were baptized into his death? It's well this morning, as we are here in God's house, to take a look at our baptism and to realize just what it has meant to us and what it means to be baptized into Christ's death. If there is anything in the world that ought to cause you and me to avoid being off of the beam, to avoid sloppy Christian living, the kind of living that just doesn't measure up, it is not becoming you and me, It ought to be this, we were baptized into Jesus Christ and thus into his death. And that in the first place means this, that when you and I were baptized and baptized into his death, that means that we were joined to Christ's death, that death which made it possible for the forgiving grace of God to operate. How many of us realize this, that if Christ had not died, the grace of God could never have forgiven sin. Some people say, well, God is a forgiving God. He's gracious and He's merciful. Therefore, God can forgive sins easily. But listen, God Himself could not forgive sins had it not been for the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, had to come out of the ivory palaces into this world of sin, become a human being without sin, and He had to go to Calvary's cross, and there He had to die. Why? Because God is a God of grace, but he's also a God of justice. And being a God of justice, when the soul sins and it's punishable by death, God must carry out that verdict of justice. And therefore, for God to be merciful, for God to forgive on the basis of grace, Christ had to die and he had to meet the justice of God. And you and I don't understand Calvary until we stand there and say, there was God's Son who willingly met the justice of God. He on the cross, He bore the guilt and the punishment of the world. He endured the equal of an eternity in hell for the human race. And He met the justice of God so that by meeting God's justice, Therefore, it was possible for God who is merciful and gracious to have a forgiving grace and to forgive sins. And therefore, when you and I were baptized, we received, we were given this forgiving grace of God. How many of us realize that the greatest thing that has ever happened to you and me has been our baptism? When in infancy you and I were brought by means of water and the word of God in baptism, something tremendous happened. And what happened in baptism, we were united and joined to the death of Christ and the merciful forgiveness of God became ours and we were forgiven our sins, delivered from hell and damnation and given eternal life. And bear in mind, when on the day of your baptism in mine, that tremendous miracle of God's grace happened, that grace was given you and me to save us, never to be exploited. What happens when a Christian who has been baptized into Christ's death doesn't care how he lives? What happens when he's off of the beam? What happens when his Christian life is sloppy? It's everything but what it ought to be. When your life and mine is sloppy, even though we are not saved by our life, that means that we are looking at God's grace and we are making it mean that God is stupid. Listen, can you think of a greater crime than to look at God's merciful grace and to try to interpret it in such a way that God ends up being stupid? That's what we do. You may say, what do you mean? God's grace was given for one reason, to save. Yet it's possible for many a Christian to look at God's grace and to say, God, I've got an angle. God, you're rather stupid. I know how to get around you. Your grace is so great to forgive me, therefore, since it's so vast and I'm not saved by my life, I can go out and live just as I please. And I'll go out and sin to the very limits of my ability, and your grace is always bigger. In other words, we say to God, God, you're not so smart as you think you are. I'm a little more clever than you are. I've got a way around this thing that I can live as I please, I can be off of the beam and still be saved because your grace is big enough to allow me to do as I please. And listen, whenever you and I accuse God of being stupid, whenever you and I say, God, I can take advantage of you and I can exploit you, whenever you and I play God for a fool, watch out. Listen, friends, the forgiving grace of God was given for one reason. That was to say, never that you and I could say, God, I'm clever, I can get around it, and I'll live as I please off of the beam, and your grace is so big that it will forgive me. You know, it's like this. Supposing a man were dying of a horrible venereal disease, and realizing that he was dying of it because of a profligate life, he found that there was a medication that would arrest it. And then he would take that cure that would arrest this venereal disease only to say the reason for the medical cure is that I can go back and live as I did. And when any Christian accepts the grace of God only to interpret it as God, you're a sap and you're a fool and you're stupid, that's my indication that I can go back and live again. That man's lost. The cure for venereal disease was never given to allow man to wallow in sin. That's what the Word of God means when, like dogs, we go back and eat our vomit. Whenever you and I know we're not saved by our life, but whenever on the day of baptism we were given the forgiven grace of God, it's time that we as Christians will realize that it was given for one reason to save never to allow you and me to exploit God and say, God, you're stupid. I'm more clever than you. I can go out and live as I please because your grace is greater than my sin. God forbid perish the thought. And that's why today, when again we realize that we're saved by the forgiving grace of God, and we're not saved by our life. But when St. Paul calls upon you and me to say, avoid sloppy Christian living, When you and I live and our life doesn't measure up to what it ought to be, and we know it, and we don't care, when we're off of the beam and we say, What's the difference? I can live as I please. I can sin to my heart's content. Today ought to be the day when we say to ourselves, I was baptized. And when I was baptized, I was baptized and I became sharers of Christ's death. And I received the grace of God and therefore we ought to say to ourselves, I am going to be on the beam. I shall avoid anything in my Christian life that puts me to the right or to the left of center. God wants no sloppy Christian living. When we can say that and mean it, then and only then will we begin to appreciate what it means that we have been baptized. You know, Paul appreciated his baptism immensely, did he not? He was on the way to Damascus, you know, up in Syria when he met his Lord, and he was stricken with blindness, and he went into... Uh, Damascus and he stayed there for three days and he was blinded at that time and he was neither able to eat or to drink. And then the Lord God went to a man and said to him his name was Ananias. He is not the other Ananias. You know it's too bad they both have the same names. He's not the Ananias and Sapphira who were liars. But there was another Ananias, a Christian living up there in Damascus. And God told Ananias to go to a street called straight into a home of a man with the name of Judas. And there again, it was not Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was dead and he went to the home of a man named Judas. And he went there and he said, You shall find this man Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias went, you know, and again when he put his hands on him and prayed, uh, Paul was able to see again and then we are told that Paul was baptized. The grace of God was granted and sealed to him, the very death of Jesus Christ, and because he was baptized it meant a tremendous thing. How thankful we ought to be that in baptism, again, we became children of God and the mercy and the grace of God became ours how thankful that we have had parents who in infancy again have brought us as infants to the kingdom of God because even children are born in sin and they need to be regenerated and they need the mercy of God the very fact that we have been baptized it ought to be the greatest occasion of your life and mine that is when God did something we were baptized in connection with Christ's death the death that brought life and salvation and enabled even our God to be a God of mercy Oh, we are saved by grace, and you know, especially we Lutherans, we say, if I'm saved by grace, therefore it doesn't make any difference how I live. Life isn't very important. It's foolish to watch your life. And yet again, we're talking about this thing of careless Christian living, sloppiness. Yes, just being run over at the heels type of, who cares how we live? The idea that we can go out and do just about as we please. God forbid, says Paul, don't you realize that when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death and we say well what does that mean well it not only means that we were baptized into his death that made it possible for god to be gracious but we were baptized we were joined to christ's death which occurred once and for all thank god christ died once and for all He didn't have to die a number of times when he who was the God-man went to Calvary. His great sacrifice was sufficient for all of our sins, and also for the sins of the world. The Word of God assures us that it was a timeless sacrifice. It was a sacrifice as the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. When he died to sin, that was it. He paid the price, and he was done and finished with sin. Now Paul makes a comparison. Paul said, now you are baptized when you were baptized in connection with his death. You are sharers of that death that like as Christ was finished with sin, so are you finished with sin. You also have died unto sin. When we have died unto sin, we have died in baptism because Christ came to live in our hearts And when he came to live in our hearts the day that you and I were baptized, he came to give us power in order to resist the temptations and the enticements of life. How can you and I, who have Christ living within us, who have died therefore to sin, how in the world can we as a Christian ever say that sloppy Christian living is all right? We can live a life that leaves a lot to be desired. It doesn't make any difference whether we measure up It doesn't make any difference whether we're on the beam or whether we're off of the beam. How in the world can a child of God that is baptized ever say that? When in baptism he has been connected with the death of Jesus. Paul says we are dead to sin like a dead man. Take a dead man who has died from acute alcoholism. All right, he's here in the casket. He's died because he is drunk to excess. You can line that man's casket with all the alcoholic beverages you want. You can surround that casket with all of the alcohol you want. That man's dead and there is no enticement anymore. He's dead to that temptation. Or you can take a man that has died because of profligate living. And you can surround that casket when he's dead with all of the Christine Keelers and all of the call girls in the world and they can stand there and entice and induce, but he's dead. Therefore he is immune to temptation. And in the same way, when you and I were baptized and Christ moved into your heart and mind by faith, he gave us power so that as he died once and for all for sin, by turning to him for power you and I have died once and for all to temptation and to enticement and therefore when it's shoddy Christian living when it's sloppy living when you and I are not on the beam when your life and mine leave so much to be desired and we know it and we don't care what are we doing we are saying to Jesus Christ who came to live with us when we were baptized I don't want you a savior we are saying to him, get out of my life. We are saying to him, as far as Calvary is concerned, you didn't have to die for me. And may I say with all the strength of my own soul that any man that defies Jesus Christ and drives him out of his life is lost. He's lost because of his life, not because the forgiving grace of God failed, but because by sloppy Christian living. He drove Jesus Christ from his life, and that's why you and I today, when again we talk about salvation by grace, and that's true, and we say we're not saved by our life, and that's true, but nevertheless it does not follow from those two truths that it makes no difference how you and I live. We dare not say that we can be off of the beam. Paul called with the intensity of his being to the Roman Christians. You've got to see to it that you're not off of the beam away with careless Christian living. And if we would determine today as baptized Christians that we are going to see to it that we are never off of the beam, that to the strength that we have in Jesus Christ, we are going to therefore avoid careless Christian living, then there would be some discipline in our life. How many of us, when we became a Christian, or when we were baptized or embraced Christ, ever said to ourselves, now it's something where I've got to discipline my life. You know, we sing the old song uh, Take my life and let it be. And that's just about the way some Christians feel about it. They stop it. The, Take my life, Lord, and let it be just as it is. I want to go on, and I want to live just as I please, and I'm going to fulfill the lusts of my heart, and don't you get in my way. Take my life, Lord, and save me, but let me be. But the hymn says, take my life, and let it be consecrated, Lord, to the tremendous difference. When the athlete gets ready, he disciplines himself, and he trains himself. How many of us train ourselves to be on the beam. How many of us say it's of utmost importance that our lives shall not be sloppy Christian lives, but will be on the beam, to have lives that are commensurate with our Christian faith, to have lives that measure up to a certain degree with what that life ought to be, because we are baptized. When God says, Thou shall have no other gods before me, How many of us discipline ourselves and say, God's got to come first. When God says not to take his name in vain, how many of us have controlled ourselves that blasphemy and cursing do not come from our hearts because it's wrong. We're off the beam. When God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, how many of us discipline ourselves to say that we're going to worship God and be in his house unless God makes it absolutely impossible. How many of us have ever disciplined, or is our prayer be, take my life and let it be. Don't you bother me, Lord, don't get in my way. I'm going to sin to my heart's content. Honor thy father and thy mother. How many of us are disciplined in life, to be on the beam with honoring our parents? When God says, thou shalt not kill, how many of us say hatred is wrong, whether it's in your heart or mine. And therefore, hatred is something that dare not be found in the Christian life, because you're off the beam. That's sloppy Christian living. That is dethroning Christ. Thou shalt not commit adultery. How many of us, looking into our own hearts, have got to say, Away with sinful thoughts and desires. I've, in baptism, died to sin. Thou shalt not steal honesty in business, honesty with one another, bearing false witness, watching the tongue that we speak in love, not coveting. How many of us have disciplined ourselves? Or is it only this take my life and let it be? That it's a great party, and we say, "Boy, this is heaven too." What a chump is God, and oh, how stupid God can you be to save us by grace? That leaves us out. We can go out and live just as we please. No, you can't live just as you please. You and I were baptized into His death, and that also means this: that when we were baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, we were put into a relationship we were joined to his death which occurred once and that was followed by his resurrection Paul says Christ died once and then he rose again and we know that he did he arose from the dead showing that he had gained the salvation that he had again atoned for on Calvary and now Paul makes an analogy he says Christ died to sin then he arose to a new life then again that human nature of his shared in all the glory of the divine nature true god and true man and he appeared and he disappeared to the disciples and to his followers there was the glory that was his and newness of life paul says in the same way when you were baptized into his death you died to sin and then he says you arose to a new life why because the holy spirit came to dwell in our hearts baptism means that something happened to you and me something miraculous what happened why we were born of water and the spirit we were born again the holy ghost on the day of your baptism and mine He came into our hearts for the first time or sealed himself when we were baptized. And when the Holy Spirit came into your hearts and life and mine, we were born a second time. There was a living faith in Jesus Christ and when the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us, he came so that our lives when we would strive would be pleasing to God. Isn't it a marvelous thing to know that the Spirit of God dwells in you and me since the day of our baptism when we were baptized as infants? Let it seal to us as we were baptized as adults, and that Holy Spirit takes the efforts of your life and mine, and He adds the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that our life becomes pleasing to God. And, and listen, in the moment when we say to ourselves, It doesn't make any difference how I live. I can live a sloppy christian life i don't have to measure up i can just be a lazy fair individual and let it go and come and let my life be just as it is but in the moment when that becomes our attitude what are we doing we're grieving the holy spirit the holy spirit crying and striving with you and me struggling to get us again to live as god would have us live and we say no the tremendous danger is this that we hardened our hearts we hardened our consciences to the point where we can harden our hearts at the Holy Spirit will leave your life and mine and never come back. and We'll never want him back, and we've committed the sin against the Holy Ghost, the unpardonable sin, which is nothing but rebellion, and you and I can lose life and salvation in the name of Jesus by living lives that are careless and sloppy and off the beam and sinning against the Holy Ghost. Oh, we are saved by grace. Yes, we Lutherans, we shout it to the heavens, and that's the very joy of our church. But let me tell you, Lutheran Christians, it's also a danger. Don't you ever draw the conclusion that God is stupid because he saved us by grace, and that therefore it doesn't make any difference how we live, and we can be off of the beam and live a sloppy life, and grace is sufficient. Whenever there is sloppiness in your life and mine and we know it, we're grieving the Holy Spirit and that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Today we ought to say to us, thank God we are saved by His forgiving grace. It's the only way He could save us. But all if we just live as baptized Christians ought to live, who have been baptized into Christ's death, who are new people in Him, who are born again of the Holy Spirit what it would mean if we would just live as baptized Christians saying, I'm going to get on the beam. I've got to be right there, right in center. Who knows what's going to happen. Oh, it's wonderful to be on the beam and again, no sloppy living. You know, Paul finally was brought back to Rome after he had been in prison for two years and he stood before his executioner, and it was a matter of life and death. And the big thing was Paul, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, your head's going to be cut off. He didn't have to have his head cut off. Somebody said, "What would Paul uh, what would he have had to have done to in order to have saved himself from execution?" Why it was a simple thing. If Paul, when he stood in Rome, and I stood at the place where tradition says he was beheaded, if when Paul stood there and they asked him, do you embrace Jesus Christ? If he had been willing to take a little salt, throw it over his shoulder, pronounce the name of the emperor, if he would have said, "Oh Nero, and would have called upon one of the Roman gods, said, "Oh Jupiter, that man could have walked out of there scot-free with his life. We might say to ourselves, well now wait a minute, it wouldn't have made much difference. Why didn't he take a little salt and throw it over his shoulder? Why didn't he say oh Nero? Why didn't he say oh Jupiter? And he could have walked out? Oh, he could have been a great help to the church. Why? Because Paul had been baptized into the death of Jesus. And he knew that the saving grace of God was meant to save him, never to use it and to look at God to use it as a way of escape and to interpret it as being something from a stupid God. And because Paul's life, as he lived it, it wasn't a soggy looking thing. It was something, again, it was not sloppy. And because he lived in Christ, he stood there and he said, no, there'll be no salt thrown over my shoulder. I'll not call on Nero. I'll not call on Jupiter. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. And again, the sword cut that head from that body, and he gave his life because, again, he knew the joy of living a life and being on the beam. And when we have lived our lives on the beam with the power of Jesus Christ because we have been baptized into his death, Think of the joy that awaits us. Yesterday we talked about the eclipse of the sun, didn't we? And we were told not to look at it for a length of time, lest indeed the brightness of the light of the rays would burn the eyes. Imagine what it will be when we have been on the ball showing that our faith in Jesus Christ and in his grace is a living thing when we shall see the great beam, Jesus Christ, and our eyes shall behold him and we shall not be blinded But we shall see him who is the brightest beam because he is God himself. Oh, to do away with sloppiness in Christian living. To do away with the idea that it doesn't make any difference. To do away with the idea that it doesn't matter whether we're on the beam or off the beam. Oh, to God that we could walk the glory road and we could have the assurance that comes when we can say to ourselves i know that when i was baptized thank god i was baptized into christ's death and then a life that gives evidence that we are still in grace and we can sing on the glory road blessed assurance jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine heir of salvation purchased by god born of his spirit washed in his blood this is my story this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. God grant that you and I can be on the beam. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping united hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.